turn in your Bible to Acts 27. We're continuing our series this morning we've just called Breaking Point. Now, a breaking point is not so much a moment of great faith, but it's a moment when faith is made, if that makes sense. It's a moment when you choose faith. It's a crossroads when you say, am I going to believe God? Am I going to choose faith? Or am I going to be, you know, pounded in, ground up and spit out uh, by the circumstances of life? Which way am I going to go? Uh, we've called this breaking point faith in real time because that's the way you and I live our life. We don't have the luxury of hindsight. We don't have the luxury of foresight. We live right now. So it's in this frame that we've kind of zoomed in and said, let's talk about faith um, close up where we live. So we're drawing off moments in Scripture when those who went before us had their breaking point. The first week we talked about faith in the furnace. Uh, we talked about the three Hebrew boys who were thrown into the fiery pit by the king. Last week we talked about a faith that unlocks our destiny, and we talked about Queen Esther. And so today we're going to talk about faith in the storm. And we're going to look at uh, this occasion of Paul the Apostle when he was a prisoner on a boat and a great storm rolled up in his life and how he handled it. So Paul's a traveling missionary, which means that he went a lot of places. Now, if you think it's tough getting through the airport now, uh, you ought to compare it to travel 2,000 years ago. There's no airplanes, there's no trains, there's no cars, uh, there's no wagons. Uh, most people weren't wealthy enough to own uh, any kind of animal that they would ride. Most people traveled by foot or by boat. And in this occasion, it happened to be by boat, not by Paul's choice. Not everybody was excited, you know, that, to have a missionary in town. And so uh, because Paul was teaching people about Jesus, Paul was put in prison. And as a prisoner, he was being transported by Rome, uh, to Rome by boat uh, when this powerful hurricane-like storm jumped up on them. Now, this is a long story in Scripture. It's uh, Acts chapter 27. We're not going to read all of it this morning, but the Scripture is very clear that the storm jumped up on them suddenly. How many of you... Have you ever had one of those moments where something just kind of something just kind of jumped up on you? You know what I mean? You've had a moment like that where one minute everything's fine, then bam, and all of a sudden you're whoa, wow, what happened? What just happened? How? What bad news did I just receive? This kind of reminds me of a story that ran in a North Carolina newspaper. Maybe you've heard this. Uh, Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage. The problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean the cage out and used a vacuum cleaner. How many of you see the dark clouds gathering? She detaches the uh, attachment from the, the one, the end of the vacuum. She sticks it into the birdcage. The phone rings. She reaches over to grab the phone just when she hears, bird gone, Chippy gone. Chippy got sucked down through the vacuum attachment into the, uh, part, the main part of the vacuum. So she throws the phone down, she opens it up, and there's Chippy covered in soot and dirt and lint and everything else that's been sucked in the vacuum the last three years. There's Chippy all dusted over. She panics. She grabs little Chippy the parakeet because she can see all this dust. You know, it's all disoriented. So she does 
naturally what anybody would think to do. She runs and she turns the water on full blast and holds it up underneath the faucet to wash it off. So then she sees the bird there drowning, disordered, flapping its wings, wet, <laughs> uh, uh, shocked, and, and uh, cold, shivering. So then she takes the bird and does the next natural thing that anybody would do to help an animal in a situation like this. She takes the hair dryer, she puts it on hot and high, and she blows little Chippy's head off with a hair dryer. After a few days of trauma, the person who wrote the article in the North Carolina newspaper called to check on the parakeet just to see if it was okay. And, and here's what the owner said about the bird. She said, well... Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sort of sits and stares. How many of you ever had a moment like that? Something jumped up on you and it knocked the song right out of you. And you just sort of sit and stare and mumble and maybe flap your lips up and down or something like that. Ask anybody who was alive in 1941, where were you? when Pearl Harbor was attacked. And I guarantee you, if not 100%, very, very, very close, can tell you this is where I was at because it, it was a moment that jumped up on our country and changed everything. Most of us in the room, if not nearly everybody, is old enough to remember 9-11. Ask, where were you when you heard about the attacks uh, in Manhattan and the attacks on the White House? And where were you when you heard about the attacks in our country. I remember I was uh, on my way to the church office and when we lived in Mississippi and I pulled in the parking lot and I could see through the reception glass into our office that our staff was gathered around a computer monitor watching something and I could tell by the looks on their face this isn't like a funny YouTube video something's wrong and I didn't know what it was but when I walked into the office there was a tone uh, that I'll never forget. And they said, you got to see this. Uh, an airplane's been flown into, and then the whole story unravels. And, and it's a moment of absolute, complete shock. What started in a beautiful, gorgeous day, in a moment time, jumped up and shaped a whole generation. I can take you to the spot I was at in my backyard, August 28, 2005, when our worship pastor called me at 6.45 in the morning and he said, hey, we need to talk. Hurricane Katrina, uh, during the night, changed. It doubled its speed coming toward land. Its rotation has increased. It's now a Category 5 storm. It's headed right at us, and it's a day ahead of schedule. What are we going to do? I'll never forget that day, as long as I live... It shaped the next four years of our life in that one moment. Have you ever had a moment like that? Can you remember where you were at when the doctor gave you the diagnosis or the phone call came and they said, this is what the test results were? Can you remember where you are when your spouse called and said, I want a divorce? Can you remember where you were when a loved one was suddenly killed or a job loss came unexpectedly or the investment was gone, something you worked for your entire life and now it's gone? Maybe it's come in the form of depression. Maybe it's uh, an issue you thought was resolved and it's cropped up from the past. 
unexpectedly, suddenly, something reared up and jumped on you. I don't know what form that the storm has taken in your life, but I know storms will come. It's no surprise to anybody in the room, sometimes life just downright hurts. Scripture tells us in John 16:33, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We, we oftentimes say that Scripture to clarify, I guess in some ways we would interpret it as a negative promise of Jesus. I guarantee you, I promise you, in this world you will have trouble. But let me give you another verse that we maybe don't quote often enough, Psalm 34, 19. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. That's just a little preview of the end of the sermon this morning. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Good news. Now, troubles are going to come. Sometimes they come because we sail straight into them. Sometimes they come because we cause them. Sometimes they come because we make bad decisions. Sometimes they jump on us uh, like, a, like the vacuum jumped on Chippy. Nothing, nothing that we did to cause it. These moments just show up. And sometimes it feels like in the middle of those moments that God is either blind or at least just silent. These are breaking points. This is what faith looks like in real time. It's where we, it's where we sometimes live. Now, if you've got something to write with, I want to give you three options this morning uh, from this story in Acts 27 on what do we do in this breaking point when it comes to faith in a storm. What are, what are some options on what we can do? When a breaking point comes out of nowhere, what are your choices? Here's the first one. Well, you can quit. I mean, I just thought we'd put that on the table. It is an actual option. Acts 27, 15 says, The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so, he gave, so we gave way to it and were driven along. In other words, they just, the captain just let go of the wheel and said, Sail on. There's, there's nothing else I can do. I'm overwhelmed. I'm discouraged. I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I fought this fight as long as I can fight it. They just lifted their hands in the air, let go of the wheel, and said, let the storm do whatever it's going to do to us. And they just hoped it would go away. Now, this is where you give up. You give in. You quit. You resign. You, you quit fighting. You accept defeat. It sounds ridiculous except for one thing. Most of us have some point in our life felt that way. Most of us is, at some point have felt like giving up. I've felt that way before in my life. Just sell everything and move up there with the Alaskan bush people and start over. Just move up there with them, live out in the bush, build all your own furniture, you know, smoke all your own meat, just farm and fish and uh, avoid bears all day. What's interesting to me is that they don't have a tropical bush people. I would prefer that. I'd rather live on an island somewhere with a swimming pool where I can fish and there's air conditioning and a good shower and fresh fruit. If I'm going to give up, I'm going to give up somewhere like that. If you've never felt like just throwing your hands in the air and letting go of the wheel, let me tell you why you've never felt that way. You've never had a real breaking point. If you've ever had a real breaking point, the thought of quitting has crossed your mind. The thought of just giving up and letting go and giving in and quitting. And somewhere along the way, most of us feel the pressure to flow with the crowd, to stop fighting. 
And we, and we even feel the temptation to quit doing what's right. Sometimes doing what's right doesn't seem to be working. It's not producing the things that we hoped it would produce. So when we face temptation or we battle addiction or we face peer pressure, it may feel that way. Just give up. But I promise you one thing. If you give up, I promise you your ship will sink to the bottom of the ocean. I think one of the places that we give up first is we give up in prayer. We give up praying about the storm. And and I think this is one of the reasons that God has really uh, put a spotlight on this parable for us at this season in Kingwood Church. This idea of breakthrough is our theme this year. This scripture we read at Soak last week about the widow woman who kept coming to the judge and kept pleading her case and kept saying, won't you help me? I've, I've, injustice has happened to me. Won't you help me? And then, of course, he does help her. And God says, look, if this judge who is unjust and apathetic and isn't even fair will help this woman because she won't give up, how much more will God help you if you keep praying? And the Bible even tells us that Jesus told that story so that he could encourage his disciples to keep praying and not to give up. I think we most of the time give up in prayer before we give up anywhere else. It's the first place we quit. It's the first place we stop. Now, to say that, though, I want to say sometimes prayer isn't about the result. In other words, I'm praying, and why do I get discouraged in praying? Because nothing's changing. So what do I feel tempted to do? I feel tempted to quit. Why? Because the point of prayer is that this might change. Well, sometimes prayer's not about the result. Sometimes prayer's about the connection that you get with God. Sometimes prayer's about the relationship you're forming with God in the middle of the storm and about the strength you're receiving and about the encouragement and the courage that's coming inside your inner life. And if you quit, you give up on your source of strength. You give up on your source of help. You give up on courage. Whether the results you you think should be happening are happening or not. Spiritual apathy and discernment in burnout is in some ways a form of giving up. But it never works. You may have to change the way you pray. You may be in such a violent storm that your entire prayer life has to change. And what I mean by that is it might not get more intense. Your prayer life might not get, you might not pray longer. You might not pray with more emotion. You may do exactly the opposite. Your prayers might start to sound something like this. God, I don't know what to say. I've said everything I know how to say. I don't know what else to pray. I don't know what to say. Frankly, I have nothing left to give in prayer, but I'm here. That might be the exact prayer you need. Showing up is a big deal. Being honest with God is a big deal. Quitting is not a good option. It's way overrated, and it always underdelivers. So here's your first option in a storm. Quit. Here's your second option. Reprioritize. Reprioritize. Acts 27, 18, and 19 says, We took, here they are back in the boat now, we took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they begin to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. So, in other words, the ship's sinking. 
clear the deck, dump the cargo, get priorities straight, get rid of, rid of all the waste. This is probably the first thing or one of the most important things that we all do when we don't quit. In other words, if, if we're not going to quit and we're going to stay in the fight, then what are we going to do? We're going to reprioritize to see if we can make a difference in what's around us. Now, at least you're making progress, right? I mean, it is a logical step. It's reasonable. It gives us something we can do with ourselves in a time of stress and frustration and fear and all of that. God doesn't cause every storm, but He will use the storm to clear the deck. He will use the storm to shift our priorities. The valuable things that are stacked on the deck in the brilliant sunlight in the open sea have now become concrete anchors weighing you down in the dark night of the storm. And it's time to throw them overboard. And that clutter in our life oftentimes looks like accumulating creature comforts. Keeping up with the Joneses. Living for instant gratification. Climbing the ladder of success. It's, it's the nature of life for unimportant things to take over. Have you ever noticed that in your life? Unimportant things are oftentimes much louder much more urgent and much more demanding than, un, than the most important things. The most important things seem to lie quietly below the surface, whispering to us. The unimportant things are screaming at us and yelling at us, pay attention to me and come over here and follow me and do this. Maybe you're here today and God's dealing with you about clearing the deck and shifting some of your priorities. Maybe you're not in a storm, but you can hear Him anyway. Maybe you work too much. Maybe it's time for you to change your work schedule and reprioritize in your life a, a greater investment in your family and relationships. Maybe you've neglected your spouse and it's time to put her or him first again. Trust me, your ship will be harder to sink if you get that one right. Maybe it's time to reevaluate your spending so that you can save more uh, or give. How often does your family sit and eat dinner together? Maybe it's time to reevaluate the commitments that your family has to busyness and activity and pull your family back together again. I can remember when uh, our kids were younger, the first year that both our kids played sports at the same time. I had no idea. Our older one played, uh, I believe it was uh, kid pitch baseball. The younger one played t-ball and then they both did taekwondo, and then one of them did basketball. <clears throat> and so the first year that happened, I had no idea all the things that could go wrong. I thought it was incredible, you know. Both our kids' practices were on the same day of the week. Both of them were at the same time. They were at the same field, and the games were about the same time always. And we just kind of pop our lawn chairs out and whistle and think, wonder why all the other parents are so stressed about all this. This is easy. And it's because we were stupid. That's why. Because we had no idea what could go wrong. And then the next season, as the grand hands of time would roll around and everything comes full circle, it was the exact opposite. All the games were on different days. All the practices were on different days. All of them were in different locations. And we were, we were doing six days a week. And then basketball and t-ball and baseball overlapped three weeks. I'm telling you, we didn't sleep or eat for three weeks. We just went to stuff. And I, I, I can remember a story about that going, what has happened to our family? 
We don't know each other anymore. We don't even like each other anymore. We don't even want to be here. And if you're not careful, those demands, those perceived demands can take your life over and make those are the loud priorities that are screaming and they're not the quiet ones that are whispering. And if you just respond to them, you'll be swept away by the riptide. And at the end of that thing, we said, no, no, no. What we're losing is our family. What we're losing is relationships with each other. What we're losing are the things that are important to us. And so we said, never again. You'll, you'll play two things, you'll not play three things. And, and whatever, you know, if that means we're the Antichrist now, whatever that means, that's what's going to happen in our home. And then there was peace again, we loved each other again, and we enjoyed the things that we did and they mattered. And so that kind of reprioritizing, I, I just want to say something to all the families that are, uh, uh, the sports, the extracurricular families, I just want to share something with you that I had to learn. Don't confuse putting your kids in a lot of activities with spending time with them. Sitting on the sideline and cheering them on is not quality time. You can be 50 feet away from your kids and be total strangers. But live in the, the thought that you're somehow a good parent because you're doing all of this stuff. Don't mistake that for being a good parent. Having your kids overcommitted and pushing them too hard and never eating together, never having free time, never having relationships together. It can, it, you could do all that and be a bad parent. You could spend thousands of dollars and be running to stores all over the place getting everything done. I sent an email uh, this past week to, uh, we're about to do travel ball. I've never done travel ball before. I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, the, the only word that uh, sticks out in my mind that I don't like is travel. So I assume we're going to be driving a lot. I don't know what it means. So I was even, hey, I missed the meeting. Can you tell me what's going on? And I got a whole big old handbook emailed to me with all the expectations and all this and all that and all the other. And I thought, well, if you're going to send me your expectations, I might as well send you mine. So I emailed back and I basically said this, listen, I realize that travel balls Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I just want you to know that our kids aren't allowed to skip church to play sports. That's not going to happen in our family. I love you. My son's thrilled. He's excited. This is his favorite sport he ever played. Can't wait to get there. We'll make every afternoon game we can. And, and, and you know, then you got to battle that in your house and all that stuff. But, but the deal is, look, I, that didn't, that's a Christian conviction to me. It's not a church thing. I did that when I was 16. Every job application I ever filled out my entire life, I said, I will not work on this day. I might work later, but I'm not going to work. I'm not going to... I'm not going to reprioritize my life that way. And the verse the Lord gave me when I was young is in Samuel, God honors those who honor him. So I always felt like if I honored him and put him first, he'd work the rest out. And you know what? It's worked out pretty good. So the average American work week is longer than it was 30 years ago. The time that we have, which is less than it used to be, that we call free time, is more organized than it's ever been. So my question is, when do we build relationships? When do, we, when do we do those things that we say are most important? You might remember uh, Pastor Robert Schuler, the pastor of Crystal Cathedral out, out west in California. Many years ago, he did a, a crazy book tour where he visited 14 cities in seven days and he was signing, uh, autographing the best-selling book that he wrote. And as soon as he got home, he was scheduled for a luncheon 
somebody, they did a charity raffle. And the highest bidder would get to have, they were raising money for a good cause, would get to have lunch with Robert Schuler. And so as he, the plane landed, he got back in town, everybody was talking about what's going on. Uh, he learned that the person with the highest bid was $500. Now this is back in the day when $500 was, you know, real money. Not the monopoly money it is now. Dr. Schuler was suddenly uh, caught off guard, though, when he learned the name of the person who won the raffle. Who is this young girl, this teenage girl, that would be willing to put in all her entire savings of $500 so that she could have lunch with Robert Schuler? He was shocked when he found out it was his daughter because she never got to see him. And, and he said later, I will tell you that night was a dark night for me. I had no choice but to clear the decks and reorient my priorities. It became as important as life and death to me. I took everything I had, everything that seemed important to me, and I offered them up to God. I gave God my family. I gave God my ministry. I took everything I owned and everything that was important to me, and I let go of them, and I gave them all to God. So the question for you this morning is, what are your priorities? And, and is it time to reprioritize? You might want to write this thought down. This is pretty, pretty important. I think one of the challenges is we tend to worship at work, we tend to play at worship, and we tend to work at play. Let me say that again. We tend to worship at work, play at worship, and work at play. When we need to work at work, worship at worship, and play at play. And that make, that, those priorities are right. So to reprioritize in the middle of a storm, maybe you're here today and you're not in the middle of a storm. I can tell you to reprioritize in the middle of a storm, all you need is to be afraid you're going to die. You don't, have to be, you don't have to be brave to chunk stuff overboard when you're sinking. All you have to do is want to live. It doesn't take anything. But to reprioritize your life during a normal time when there is no crisis and there is no storm, that takes bravery. It takes courage. Anybody can look at somebody in a crisis and watch them throwing stuff overboard and say, man, if I was them, I understand. I mean, I wouldn't do that in my life right now, but if I was them, I would do that. But what happens when you start throwing stuff overboard and you're not in a crisis? Everybody looks at you and says, what's wrong with them? Why are they mad? Who offended them? Who did this to them? They don't, they don't come here as much. They don't do that. They don't do this. And then you do It takes bravery. You have to swim upstream to clear the deck when there's no storm. Clearing the deck is a step in the right direction, and it's a hundred times better than letting go of the wheel and quitting. But in the end, and this is what I want you to hear, in the end, it will not save you from life's worst storms. Having the right priorities is good, and it's godly, and it's Christian, and it's the right thing to do, but in the end, it won't save you from life's storms. Here's the final option. You could quit, you could reprioritize, you could listen to God. Acts 27.20 the third thought is, listen to God. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. We gave up. When human strength and even doing things right and having the right priorities are at their end, we come to the breaking point. 
at the breaking point, we find that God is really the only answer and always has been. What is it about us that... <laughs> you hear somebody sometimes, I've probably said sometimes in my life, well, I mean, I guess there's nothing left to do but pray. Well, I sort of wonder, why didn't we start there? Why, have we, why do we choose that after we exhausted everything else? That was the best thing to do all along, wasn't it? Was there really anything, was there a better option ever? I'm not saying you don't mix things, you don't pray and do something. But, but why does that seem to be the last thing? Listen to God, trust Him, surrender to Him, Give him the last word. Acts 27, look, look, keep following me in the chapter. Verse 22. Here's what Paul says to the... Remember, Paul's a prisoner. This isn't the love boat. He, he's a prisoner. He, he, he don't want to be here. He's a prisoner in a hurricane. <laughs> chained to the boat. Locked down. He says, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. I, that doesn't sound entirely like good news to me. I'm going to live, but you're going to have to walk on water to get to the shore. I don't know how that's going to work out. Last night, an angel of, of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Can you believe this? The prisoner on the ship is the one who has an answer. During the dark of the night, when they could only hear the moaning wind and the rushing waves, God sent an angel and spoke. This is a breaking point. Things are bad, but God's working. So Paul tells everyone on the ship, I believe God. Even though Paul made the statement of faith, the storm didn't go away. In fact, it got worse. I think that's one of the challenges we face in choosing faith at the crossroads. Let's pick up at verse 41. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and keep them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and to get to land. The rest were to get, uh, were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. After Paul said, All right, God, I'm at my breaking point. This is my breaking point. I choose faith. I choose God. I choose you. I'm going to believe. The situation got worse. How many of you have ever had one of those moments? Wait, wait. I thought that was it. I thought that's what you wanted. I thought that was the point. I thought that was the catalyst. I thought that was the key that would unlock the door and the sun would come out, the clouds would roll away, the boat would stay together, and everything would be fine. I thought that's what it was. I believed. God, did you hear me? I said I believed you. I thought that's what you were trying to get out of me. But the ship sank and it dumped everybody in the ocean and it was every man for himself and each one grabbed a piece of floating wood that splintered off from the ship and they held on for dear life. And sometimes our breaking point is tested. In the middle of it, Paul says, I choose faith, but then it's tested. It's like the circumstances when you step out and say, all right, God, things are bad, but I choose you. I choose to believe. I'm going to go this way. It's almost like circumstances sometimes say, you sure about that? I give you opportunity to rethink that. And it's one thing to say, I believe God on the deck of the ship. 
It's another thing to say, I believe God, holding on to a piece of driftwood in the ocean. Rolling up and down with the waves. Can you see Paul? I believe God as he's falling headlong into the water. Can you see him? His head just breaks the surface of the water and he says, I believe God. And as he's out there bobbing in the ocean, the soldiers and the other prisoners are saying, Paul, you're insane. Hush. We're dying. Leave us alone. The water comes up to Paul's throat and he says, I believe God. The water comes up to his chin and he says, I believe God. And the water gets up to his eyes and he says, And he's still saying it. And although it looked like, it looked, listen, it looked, things are not always how they look. It looked like they were going to drown, but they all made it safely to land just as God had said. Let me quote this verse from John again. In this world you have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Now look, I want to ask the worship team to come, and I want you to zero in with me on this last thought. I want to list for you all the things God did not do. Because when you live your faith in real time, it oftentimes looks like there's a lot of things God's not doing that he could do. And let me tell you all the things God did not do. God did not let Paul avoid the storm. God did not calm the storm for Paul. God did not save the ship. God did not preserve the cargo on the ship. God did not keep Paul warm and dry. God did not stop the storm. God did not save Paul from the storm. However, God was in the storm and brought Paul through the storm. And he made it to shore and he made it to land. The question is, you're in a storm today. What has God told you? Whether whether he said it through an angel or not, that's not the point. What has God said? What has God told you? What is His voice to you? What You can quit. You can reprioritize. You can, you can do both. You can reprioritize and listen to God. What has God said to you? I remember um, two years ago, this past April, uh, my wife and I and our family was headed into a dark uh, storm that we're still living out. And I didn't know everything that was just around the corner. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what was coming. I didn't know how bad, how dark. I didn't know how, I would, how many times I would be tempted to quit and give up. I didn't know how loud it would get, how harsh it would be. But April, two years ago, we were in soak together. And I happened to have a little notebook with me and a pen. And I can remember standing right here during a prayer time. It was just a very powerful prayer time. And people were praying and worshiping. And I I can remember I said... um, Whatever the instruction was that night, take this time and, you know, do, do whatever it is we were doing. And I remember the Lord just spoke to my heart right there. I mean, I, I, my mind began to be flooded with something that He was saying to me. And so I sat right here. I sat right here on this step. And I wrote it down. And, uh, 
And I've kept that. Time to time, I look back at it. It's kind of like that angel that stood beside Paul in the middle of the night. And here's what the Lord put on my heart that night. It's very short, but it's been very helpful to me. Trust me. My plans are unpredictable to you, but thoughtful on my part. It will take a long time for you to see them the way I see them. But years from now, you will. In the meantime, simple, childlike faith is the answer. It will get you through until you can see the unseen. And God has resolved the circumstances in a way that allows Him to prove Himself to you. And that little word became such a strength and an anchor for me. When I tried to make my faith more complicated, or when I tried to do more, or when I tried to resolve, or when I tried to fix, or when I tried to do something, the Lord would bring me back to center and say, don't do all that. Just childlike faith. Just, just act like everything's going to be fine. Just trust me like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Don't wait till you see the answer to believe me. Just believe me anyway. And it's been an anchor for me. Now, I want to ask you to stand with me, and I want to ask our prayer team to come today. Because there are some of you this morning. I, I, I want to have two different prayer times today. But as the prayer team's coming, some of you this morning are in a storm. And I want to pray with you. I want to give you an opportunity to pray. And so, with everybody, if you kind of close your eyes, and I'm not going to hold you long. I just want to ask you to simply kind of shut yourself in there in a place of prayer. And if you say this morning, I'm in a storm, and the waves are rising and the water's high, and I don't know the answer and it could be in a lot of different forms we talked about it could be relational storm or financial or could be in your health could be a need could be something you thought was resolved and now it's back could be an old addiction trying to haunt you again could be one that you've never conquered but this morning you just say I, I need God today here's what I want you to do here's the invitation for you I want to give you the invitation to choose faith I want to give you the invitation to choose God. You're at a crossroads. It's overwhelming. So here's, without anybody looking around, I just simply want you to lift a hand and say, that's me. And as I raise this hand today, I make a statement that I am going to believe God. I'm going to believe God. It doesn't mean you're perfect. doesn't mean you're not tired. doesn't mean you're not worn out. doesn't mean you're not frustrated. It doesn't mean that you don't feel like quitting sometime. But in this moment, you just say, my hand goes up and I believe God. I'm going to believe God for my healing. I'm going to believe God for my family. I'm going to believe God for my health, for my finance. Come on, just lift it up. Just lift it up and hold it up. I'm going to believe God today. I'm going to believe God today. I'm going to believe God today. I'm going to believe God. Here's what, here's what I simply want you to do. The worship team's going to begin to sing in a minute. But if you lifted your hand, I just want you to come and let the prayer team pray with you. I just want you to come and meet the prayer team here and say, I, this, is a, this is a step of faith for you. This is Paul having seen the angel in the middle of the night, but not keeping it to himself. Speaking up and saying, God, I believe you. 
I believe. I want to say it out loud. I want to confess it. I want to act on it. So I want you to come right now. I want you to come right now. And we're going we're to have one other prayer time as you're coming. In the balcony, uh, I saw several hands in the back. I want you to come right now and let's pray together. Come on. And when you lift your hand, you say, I believe. I believe. I'm choosing faith. I believe God. I believe God. Now here's the other prayer I want to pray. As you guys are coming, here's the other one. The prayer team's going to agree with you. No, nobody looking, I just want to say this to you. Some of you are here and, and the Holy Spirit has been working with you and you know it's time to reprioritize some things in your life. We talked about options, but there, who knows? It could be anything. It's time to reprioritize. I'm just going to tell you, it takes bravery. It takes courage. It takes, most of us don't change till we have to. But you can. You don't have to wait. So without anybody looking around, I just want to ask you this. If you say this morning, God has spoken to my heart. God is dealing with me. And there's some things in my life that need to be reprioritized. And He's made it clear to me. With nobody looking, would you just lift your hand? I want to pray. I'm not going to call you to front. I'm just going to pray with you right where you are. Would you just lift your hand? Very important moment. It takes courage. It takes bravery. I see your hand in the balcony. Another one in the balcony. I see your hands there. I see another hand in the balcony. Come on, I'm not going to call you out. You're not going to have to move. I just want you to lift your hand and say, it's time for some reprioritizing to happen in my life today. Come on, would you just lift your hand? I see it in the middle down here on the floor. Good. I see your hand in the back. Yeah. It's time for some reprioritizing in my life. There's some things I see it in the back. Yeah. There's some things that need to happen. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to go. I'm going to pray for you today. Lord, I pray for those who are in a storm. I pray for those who maybe say, God, I need your voice. Today, would you speak to them and give them some, some substance. Give them an anchor. Give them something to hold on to so they know that after the ship breaks apart and everybody's floating in the open sea, that it's not going to kill them. Somehow you're going to use this. Somehow this moment they're choosing faith and I pray that you'd help them with that choice. Lord, for those who lifted their hand and say, I need to reprioritize. God, I've been praying all week. Would you make them brave today? God, make them brave. It takes bravery. It takes courage. It takes life. It takes passion. It, take, it, takes, it takes a conviction inside our soul for us to allow you to bring that kind of change. But Lord, would you just pray with me? Lord, I'm open right now. Any change you want to make in my life, any change you want to make in my heart, any change in my mind or my schedule or my finance or my uh, uh, the way our family's structured, our relationships, any change you want to make, Lord, I open it now. I open it now. Give me the courage. God, I pray you'd grant the bravery and the courage to, to meet you in the middle of the open sea when nothing's going wrong. Give us the, the passion. Give us the courage to, to invite you to make the change now. Lord, we pray and we praise you for it. 